0: to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Psalm chapter 137 and then Luke's Gospel chapter number 9. I want to read just a this is just a heartwarming verse right here just just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside. Psalm so 137, verse 9. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against a rock. Yeah, that's the right verse. I meant to read that. And just, don't you love it when you stumble on those verses in your one-year Bible? Happy are those who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. Now, when I read that, I heard a couple of you say, Oh, God, Jesus. That's the right response, by the way. That should be your response. I promise you I'm going somewhere with this. Now, put your little ribbon marker there that your Bible came with and flip over to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 9. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 9. Very familiar passage. You know this story as the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. I want to show you one little thing out of here that is absolutely helpful. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 9, verse number 28. Now about eight days... After these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James, and they went up into a mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah. By say Moses. Come on, say it. Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus. They appeared in glory, and they were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory, and they saw the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving, just as Moses and Elijah were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings. King James says, let us make three tabernacles. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Not knowing, very important, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice and said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. I want you to underline that part in your Bible. Listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him. Go back up to verse 33. Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Verse 35, then the cloud came, and a voice came from the cloud and said, No, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and And in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. Amen. There is a popular phrase. I mentioned this last week briefly in passing. There's a popular phrase that's circulating around the church world now. If you've not heard it, I'm sure you will. Called deconstruction. Deconstruction. And whenever you hear somebody saying, I'm going through a deconstruction, what that means is their faith, they're questioning everything that they've been taught, everything that they've heard, everything that they received and inherited growing up, all of the, the dogma and the doctrine that they received growing up, now they're questioning that. And if you've not been in the church very long, what you don't know about the church is we really don't like it when you ask questions of any kind, right? That's a no-no in church. Don't ask questions. Shut up. Believe what we tell you to believe, and you'll be fine. Even if it's completely incoherent and makes no logical sense at all, shut up and just believe what we tell you to believe. This deconstruction that is happening is actually causing people to leave faith in God completely. I told you last week that I think now for the first time, in forever the american population less than half of the american population considers themselves members of a church 20 years ago it was 67% of the population were christians who were members of a church and now it's 47% why because this deconstruction is happening and we don't know how to process it we don't know how to wrestle with it okay we have these questions hard questions penetrating questions and for decades we've not had good answers other than, don't ask the question. Shut up. Believe what we tell you to believe. And you'll be fine. Can I get an amen from somebody? That's, our, that's how we operate. That's the, that's, the culture of, that's the culture of silence that we have to use to keep people under the control that we need them in. One of the main areas, and I'm going to talk about this for the next couple of weeks, but one of the main areas that is causing people to deconstruct is they're trying to figure out how do we make sense of the God that we see in the Old Testament and the God that we see revealed in Jesus. If you've ever read the Old Testament at all very carefully, and I mean really read it, you should leave with some questions. Like, how is that right? You told a man, God, you told a man to go kill innocent women and children, and when he didn't do it, you punished him for it. See, y'all already nervous because we're already asking the question. How is that right? How do we make sense of these things? And finally, people started reading the Bible very carefully, and they finally decided, if I cannot make sense of this, I have a question. And all we've told you to do is stop with all the questions. As a matter of fact, in the church world, having an education is frowned upon. You should not be a smart Christian. You should be a dumb Christian. Because they're much easier to control. And so when people ask these questions and the church doesn't have good answers for them, we retreat back into our fundamentalist responses. If you really read the Old Testament, I, I, I did this the other day, I, I was researching this, I found this out. If you read in the Old Testament, if you, if you total up, I'm going to help you. I'm going I'm I'm to upset you and then we'll put you back together before we go. All right, we got a long way to go, a long way to go and a short amount of time to get there. So we're going to drive fast and the road's bumpy along the way. (laughs) So hang in here. I totaled up the number of people that God killed in the Old Testament. That's a nerdy reaction, right? I wrote the number down. The Old Testament credits God with killing 2,821,364 people. That's the ones that he names. Forget all of the just broad statements like, he drowned the whole world. Right? These are the ones he names. If you approximate all of the entire worldwide slaughter... It's somewhere along the lines of 25 million people. Do you know how many people Satan killed in the Old Testament? Around 10. Houston. We have a problem. And we don't know what to do about it. So pretend... That the problem's not there. There is a difference between, listen very carefully, there is a difference between what is in the Bible and what the Bible teaches. I read this quote the other day and it's so true. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. When I when when I tell you, when I tell you, two point God killed 2.8 million people. And Satan killed ten. Explain that. These are a couple of our knee-jerk reactions. Well, he's holy. Which we also believe means murderous he's just and he is holy and he is just but if that is holiness then the best thing we could do is be as unlike god as possible i told you i'm i, I, want, you, I want you to be mad this first part i'm trying that's what i'm trying to accomplish i want you to be mad will 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 put some procs out on the wounds and band-aid you up and send you on your way till next week. He's just. And so by some form of some mental gymnastics, we say that yes, he killed millions of innocent children, but that's still just in some way. So we effectively create a God really inferior to Satan himself. Morally inferior, at least. Or we say this, when God kills people, it's good. You kill people, bad. Don't kill people. But when God does it, it's good. Because everything God does is good. Even if you were to imitate him and it would be bad, when he does it, it's good. Right? Makes sense, doesn't it? Because after all, his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our... His ways infinitely transcend ours, but they're not infinitely contrary to ours. Good can only mean good, and evil can only mean evil. And in no universe can you take something evil and by some weird change of a definition make it good. Here's my favorite response to this. Well, in the New Testament, God changed his ways. He quit killing people, except Ananias and Sapphira. Quit killing people. Well, except Herod, when he fell over and the worms consumed his body. Well, he quit killing people, except for Revelation when he comes back like a Navy SEAL and murders everybody that did not vote straight Republican. He changed his ways, sort of. He kind of, sort of changed his ways. He's not as bloodthirsty because he killed Jesus. That's why he killed Jesus, so he didn't have to go around killing everybody else. He changed his ways. At the end of the day, he is still a monster. It's getting awfully weird in here. This, these are the reasons... Why people are deconstructing. Yes, sir. And if you think the answer is, shut your mouth, blessed be the name of the Lord, don't think about it, pretend it's not there. It's not going to work. That's not an answer. When you read the Old Testament, there are really, and, 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 and here's the problem with not being able to read these things well. When we, read the, when, we, when we talk about this and we try to make sense out of all this, and we we'll say, well, yeah, well, God just murders people, and we don't know why, but he did. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. What that does, the impact that that has on us as Christians now is it hardens us toward human suffering. Do you remember when 9-11 happened? What, 20 years ago almost, I guess? Remember when, do you know how many preachers got up and preached that the people that died, the moms and the, the mothers and the fathers that died in that, that this was the judgment of God on a nation? We have to harden ourselves. When we read the Bible this way, it hardens us to human pain. Remember when Katrina happened? Remember that? I lived in Alabama at the time. We were six hours from the coast, and it, and it still flooded where we lived. It was terrible. It was a horrendous situation. And you know what a group of preachers said? This is the judgment of God for Mardi Gras. It hardens us to human pain because if God is murderous, then we can be callous. If you don't hear anything else I say today, listen to me here. Your lo- the intensity of your love for God will never outpace how, in- how you envision how good he is. Your in- the intensity of your love for God will never outpace how good you think he is. And your love for others will never outpace how good you think God is toward them. And so if, if we do serve a murderous, vindictive God, I don't have to care that you lost family members to COVID. Because it's God's judgment. And I heard people saying this nonsense. I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry. I could. George Floyd was murdered, but he was on drugs anyway, right? I don't have to immerse myself in human suffering because if God is a monster, I get to be callous. So how do we make sense of all this? I hope I've got your attention so far. How do we make sense of all this? Throughout Christian history, there's really been four different ways. i won't go over these real quick. There's really been four different ways that the church has grappled with these issues. had a wonderful professor of mine, my favorite professor in the world, he taught me this. Four different ways that the church has grappled with these issues. How do we read, how do we make sense of the God of the Old Testament in light of who we see in Jesus? Well, the first way historically the church has done this is, number one, just tear it out. Pretend. It's not there, right? I was doing an interview with a podcast, on on a podcast one time. Someone was interviewing me, and we were talking about when to read the Bible as literal and when to read the Bible as metaphoric or spiritual, and we were talking back and forth. And so I asked the guy, this guy hadn't been saved very long. I said, so how do you make sense of when to read it one way and when to read it another? And he said, I just decided that if I read it and it sounds stupid, That it's a metaphor. But we can't do that. We can't do that. We got to go a little deeper. Right? Our first response is we just tear it out. We pretend it's not there. And I know you don't tear it out of your Bible, but we at least tear it out of our thinking. We don't wrestle with how to make sense of this. You mean mean Joshua said that God told him to go in and murder everybody? And we say, ooh, yeah, I love those stories. That's a problem <laughs> when we love those stories. So the first person, we just tear it out. Don't know, don't care, and I really hope that my unsafe friends don't ask me about it. Because then I'm going to have a problem. The second way we've read it is, instead of just tear it out, we just say, God is God, you're not. We appeal to mystery. He works in mysterious ways. I'll say. (laughs) He murdered a bunch of children. He works in mysterious ways. Yeah, I guess. That's what you want to call mysterious. The third way the church has read this is like this. They taught that when you read the Old Testament, I promise you I'm going somewhere. When you read the Old Testament, you're not reading about a vision of who God is. You're reading about a vision of who Israel believed God was. So when you read in the Old Testament, at the beginning, the early stages of the development of the Old Testament, you read them formulating this worship of God through sacrificing animals. Just just sheer bloodshed everywhere. Morning and evening sacrifices and burning them. Because God, they say God loves the smell of dead flesh. Jesus. (laughs) But by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, even the Old Testament prophets are saying God never wanted that. And when you get to Jesus, Jesus said, he ne- God never had pleasure in your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. He wanted your heart, not dead animals. So when you read the Old Testament, you are even watching Israel progress and how they learn and understand who God is. They believe he is this and as they serve and worship and follow after God, he begins to reveal himself to them in more deeper, greater ways until finally they get to Jesus and they see the full glimpse of who God is. We thought that he was the God that told us to stone you if you broke the Sabbath. And Jesus walked around always breaking the Sabbath saying, I am God. Right? The old te- early in the Old Testament, Moses says, if you see a leper, cast him out. And if he comes near your company, kill him with a stone because that's what God told us to do. And when Jesus preaches the sermon on the mountain, he comes down off the mountain and the first person to meet him after his sermon is a leper. And Jesus does not stone the leper. Jesus heals the leper and says, I am God. Moses told you to do this, but I'm telling you to do that. It's not a vision of who God is. It's a vision of who Israel was learning God to be until finally he comes most fully into his truest form in the face of Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? That's why Moses said, when you read the Old Testament apart from Christ, you have a veil over your face. Your vision of God is blurred if you read the Old Testament without Christ. But in Christ, the veil is removed. that's the significance of the story of the Mount of transfiguration your bible says that it is moses who represents the law who represents the earlier part of the old testament then there is elijah who represents the prophets the later part of the old testament and then there is jesus and when peter is faced with all three of those voices what does peter say let's build a tabernacle to moses elijah and jesus But what does the voice of the Father say? No, 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 no. This is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. God is like Jesus. And we are to reject any vision of God that is unlike Jesus. So what do we make of the Old Testament? I get there. Hang on. When we read... Moses saying, or when we read Saul saying, God told me to go in to the camp of the Amalekites and to kill everybody. To kill everybody. Men, women, children. God's so mad, he told me to kill all their animals. Right? How do we make sense of that? Because the God that we read about in Jesus says turn the other cheek, pray for your enemies, love them, serve them, wash their feet, sit at a table with them. And Saul is saying, God told me to kill them. He didn't tell you that, Saul. That's not who God is. That's who you believe God to be. But who God is, is in Christ. God, well, Peter wanted to put... Law, prophets, and Jesus on equal playing field. Let's build them all three tabernacles so they can all have a voice into us concerning who God is. And then God himself intervenes and says, no, 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 no. This is my son. I'm exalting him above them. Listen to him. He is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus said nobody has seen God at any time. Except the Son. And if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You with me? But not us in the church. Yep, he killed everybody. Deal with it. Glory to God. Still gonna do it. You watch an R-rated movie in Jesus' name. There are movies you should not watch. Calm down. not who they it's not who God was we don't get a front row seat to who God is we get a front row seat to Israel grappling with who God is until finally we get to see who he is not in Moses not in Elijah but in Jesus this is my son listen to him listen to him so the first way we've read this is just tear it out. It's not there. Don't know what to do about it. Murdering everybody in the flood. Don't know what to do about that. The Bible says crazy stuff like God tempted David to sin. What are you going to do at that point? Kind of. I mean, it's a, if there's ever been a lose-lose, says so other things about God, that God, God, this is what the Bible says, God, Old Testament, God sent a lying spirit into the mouth of the prophets and then judged them for prophesying lies. You have to read this very carefully. If you've never read the Old Testament and scratched your head and thought, nah, what, right, wait, you ain't been reading it right. You got to start all over. The Old Testament says things like, happy are those that take your beautiful infants and bash their heads against the rocks. That's a problem. It's it's okay to say that's a problem. You're like, well, I don't know. No, that's a problem. You know how many times the Old Testament has been abused? In the name of murder and genocide and war. Misogyny. Pain. Do you know how many times? Do you know how many times it's been abused? It was abuse. That's how it was the foundation, it was the foundation of so much of what we did when we even founded who we are as a country. It was abused. It was the Bible was abused. Because after all, if the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. The problem is that's not what the Bible said. That's what you said the Bible said. But that's not what the Bible said. When I was growing up, learning to preach and study the Bible, I grew up in a very uh, very fundamentalist Even I grew up in a Baptist church, a free will Baptist church. And they, to- they always told me this about reading the Bible. This is their rule. This is the golden rule about reading the Bible. When you read the Bible, if the plain sense that you get out of it, If the plain sense, when you read it, when you just read the verse, when you read the verse, God sent a lying spirit into the mouth of the prophets and then killed them for lying. If the plain meaning of the verse, if the plain sense makes sense, then seek no other sense. That's what they told us. That's how you read it. Face value. If the plain sense makes sense, Seek no other sense. God made them lie. Killed them for lying. Don't know how that works. But it's plain. Or is it? Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and said, You read the scriptures. Searching for life. And you're completely missing everything they're saying. It is possible, it is possible for all of us to have read the Bible our entire life and missed what it said. And the reason we miss what it says is because we were taught what it could and could not be saying. Our families, our church communities teaches us what the Bible is allowed to say and what it's not allowed to say. So, we operate under a cultural pressure all the time and don't even recognize it. You read the Bible through all sorts of lenses. You read the Bible as a woman or a man, you read it differently. You read it differently. The questions my wife has about the Bible never crossed my mind. Never. Like, why would you even think like that? Because she's a woman and I'm a man. It's not one's right or wrong. We have our lenses. You read them as white or black or Hispanic or, uh, or whatever, whatever ethnicity you are. You read them as a Westerner. You read them as a good old Southern football fan. You read them as America best, God. You do. We don't even realize. You can be misreading the Bible your entire life Unless you read it rightly, and Jesus taught us how to read it rightly, you read it looking to find me. And if you don't see me in it, you're not reading it properly. So the next logical question, right, is, are the Old Testament stories true? Did those really happen? I know you're going to catch me. Those really happen. What do you think, Pastor Casey? I won't tell nobody. Famous last words before it gets tweeted. Did those really happen? Whether or not they happened isn't even the point. But let's talk about it. If they did actually happen, what do we make of that in light of Jesus? If Joshua really did go kill everybody in the name of God, what do we make of that in light of Jesus? This is what we make of it, that sometimes when God speaks to us, we can respond very, very wrongly. What do we make of it? That we can radically mishear what God has said to us to begin with. Because we know in Jesus, that's not who God is. If you're confused, come back for part two next week. I told you there were four ways of reading these stories. Tear it out. Pretend it's not there. Number one. Number two, God's God. You're not. Shut up. Worship. Don't ask questions. Number three, that God progressively, God's not progressively revealing himself, but we are progressively discovering who he is. And the way that the early church read it was number four. They believed that these texts were meant to be read spiritually. Which means when you read a story about Joshua invading a city to kill God's enemies, it's not a story about a man going into an actual city, murdering actual people. It's a story of what Jesus is coming to do into the city of our own heart, to the sin that's holding us captive. Right? That when you read the story of an exodus of the children of Israel leaving Egypt and the waters of the Red Sea closing around their enemies, it's not God murdering people in mass, but it is a sign of what God wants to do to everything that's holding us captive. If we know anything about God, we know this. We know that God is a storyteller. Jesus always told stories. Always. And sometimes when God is so humble that sometimes when he tells a story, in the story, he lets God in the story do something that God actually would not do. And then waits to see how we respond to it. When you read about a story about God taking innocent life, how do we respond? Yeah. In Jesus' name. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And that's the very reason that story is there, to expose the idols that we've created of him. To reveal to us just how perverse our own image of God is that we've created. Either, a couple of things are happening right now. You're either completely intrigued and soaking it in, you've been lost since the introduction, you love this church and you love this teaching, or you are never coming back because they're crazy. This is what I can tell you for sure this is his son. Listen to him. And everything that you read has to be read through the filter of who we know Jesus is. And he's not the crucifier. He's the crucified. He's not the murderer. He's the one that allows himself to be murdered by us. He's not the one that kills us. He's the one that says, I love you so much, I will die at your own hands if that's what it takes to redeem you. There's people losing their minds, losing their faith, losing their walks with God because of hard questions that need coherent answers. Not your little Christian band-aid. What do you make? Are you going to hand somebody a track? What do you make of the? How do we wrestle with this? Because if that's who God is, who wants to serve that? Who wants to serve that? If I don't get anything, if I don't get anything, if I don't get anything into the heart of this church, I want to get this into the heart of this church. That if we seek to speak about God in ways that are true, we also have to speak about God in ways that are good and in ways that are beautiful. And if it is not, I know you've heard this before, I'm going to drill it into you. And if the way we speak about God is not good and beautiful, it is not true. Because not only is he the source and the wellspring of all that is true, he is also infinite beauty and perfect divine goodness. That's who God is. God will even allow. There is a difference between what God does and what God allows us to say about what he does. We do this even in our own lives. You want something bad enough, you can convince yourself that's God's will for your life. Right? No, I'm going to marry him. I, no, I'm going, honey, he's got a prison record longer than I 40. I'm going to marry him. I've had, these, I've had these conversations. I'm not making that up. I'm going to marry him. God spoke, of course, he did. Three months later, he's back in prison. We're getting a divorce. Who saw that coming? God didn't do that. That's what you said about what God was doing. What do we make? How do we make sense of this? Jesus is what God has to say. And we read everything through him. And if you hold a vision of God in your mind or your imagination that is in any way contrary to who we know Jesus to be, that's not God. Even if you got a Bible verse to support it. Because you can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Stand on your feet. You know It's so funny The way we read things The way we understand You read these Old Testament stories Of genocide Rape And murder It's like when, when The Bible says that Moses Was the meekest man to ever walk the earth You know who wrote that? Moses At some point, by the very fact that you wrote that, you lose a degree of meekness just in... I am the most humble. You read these stories and you think, God spoke something to them. They heard it as slaughter... step back to realize just because they responded in that way doesn't mean that God was actually pleased with their responses. It means that God wants to teach us through their responses. That this is not this is not who I am. This is not who I am. You want me to tell you why we're really losing people to deconstruction? I'll tell you why. It's not because they don't think the Bible's true or any of that stuff. When you read when when you read the Bible when you read the Bible faithfully it is more dynamic and explosive. It's more beautiful and captivating than you grew up listening about in Sunday school. When I used to threaten you with it. But the real reason people are being lost to deconstruction is not because there's questions about the Bible they can't answer or Genesis and science, how does that work? Is the earth this old or this old? Because they said this and they said that. What about the dinosaurs? That's not really why people are walking away reason they're walking away is because they can no longer believe in the vision of God that we've given them. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't believe in that vision of God. You know how many people have told me when this whole deconstruction talk started happening they say, well the problem is those people were never really saved to begin with. Boy that's an over, if that's not an oversimplified answer, I've never heard of one. True to form, that's our one-size-fits-all. Because in, 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 in Southern evangelical Christianity, we crave simplicity. We want belief to be painless. We don't want to wrestle or think. Just tell me what's right and tell me, just tell me what to believe. <laughs> just tell me what to believe people in my family that say tell me who to vote for I don't even know who's running just tell me who to vote tell me the name tell me the last all I need is a last name they're not leaving the faith because the Bible's not true because the Bible is true they're not leaving the faith because the Bible's not inspired because we believe the Bible is inspired God uses it to speak to us they're leaving it because we have talked about God in ways that are radically unworthy of him and they're not buying it anymore and you shouldn't buy it either because if he is infinite beauty and infinite goodness and perfect divine love then we can only talk about him in those ways you hear what I'm saying? I'm going to preach a series on this. I'm going to call it Deconstructing Deconstruction. See what I did there? I'm getting better at the title thing. The other day I shared that, stat, that statistic with somebody that all these people are leaving the faith they're leaving the church or whatever. And first response, honest to God, first response out of somebody's mouth. The devil... The devil is doing his work. This has nothing to do with the devil. This has everything to do with we have presented a distorted view of God for generations. And it's not working anymore. And we don't know what to do. So we dig in our heels And continue to insist that what great grandma said about God killing everybody. Great grandma thought that God would kill people if they went to a football game, honey. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Great grandma thought you'd go to hell for wearing blue jeans. We've had this image of God for generations that's distorted that's perverse, that's corrupt, and they're not buying it anymore. And I'm here to tell you, there is a vision of God that we see in Jesus that is the most captivating, that is the most enrapturing vision of anything you've ever seen in your life. Let's talk about that. Let's preach that. Let's preach that vision of God. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you today. We bless you. We're so thankful for your word and how it challenges us, how it sanctifies us, how it purifies us, how it works on us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you're the one that absorbs suffering. You're not the one that inflicts it. You're the one that seeks to take away the pain and brokenness, not inflict it. You are perfect beauty, divine goodness, and overwhelming love. That's who you are. Perfect justice, absolute truth, beautiful in holiness, wonderful in praises. That's who you are. And God, we ask you this morning, we pray. And I want you, church, to pray this with me. God, deconstruct everything in us that views you wrongly. We put it on the altar. Let your spirit and your word do what only your spirit and your word can do. And deconstruct everything in us that thinks about you or talks about you in ways that are unworthy. Let it happen in all of us. And then our love will burn pure and brighter and hotter for you than ever before. And the church shouted hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.